0: morning okay so we're on the chapter about enthusiasm I hope you are all enthusiastic and full of joyous effort to come and listen to teachings (laughs) and we'll talk about how to overcome the impediments to that okay so let's just Remember the visualization of the lineage masters and the Buddhist and Bodhisattvas and ourselves surrounded by sentient beings as far as the eye can see. So now that we have the opportunity to encounter the Dharma, to study it, to contemplate it, to meditate on it, it's very important that we take this opportunity with a good motivation. In other words, our motivation is not to compete, not to be best, not to be special, not to look good. It's to benefit sentient beings through progressing on the path to Buddhahood. So we have to keep coming back to that motivation again and again and again. Because it's so easy for it to get corrupted And those worldly corruptions then take us completely off course. Even if we do look good and look special and so on. So with that commitment to do our best to benefit sentient beings, in the short-term and in the long-term. For that reason, then we'll share the Dharma this morning. So the Winter Olympics are going on right now, and they are an excellent study in joyous effort versus pushing. Because <laughs> there's a difference between joyous effort and pushing. Yeah, And uh, remember when we talked about the um, the, the four measurables and each one had a near enemy, something that was very similar to it that we easily slip into. Well, pushing is the new near enemy of joyous effort. And so it's very interesting to, to watch these people. There's been this whole upset of what's happened. In the winter Olympics, because the famed Russian uh, figure skater, you know, who's 15 years old and the best one in the world for years, bombed, you know? She had some kind of substance in her body that wasn't supposed to be in her body, so she won one thing, but they're not going to... Give the medal, and then she stumbled on her best event yesterday. Four times she stumbled or she fell. Catastrophic. Yeah. And then the uh one of the American skier, um skiff, skiffren, somebody, you know. Started with her an S. I don't pay attention to names, as you all know. Anyway, um, she also, you know, world champion da 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 kept falling, you know, and just kind of. So both of them, you know, were like they they have one place at least near the skating one that's called Kiss and Cry, so. You either win and then you kiss everybody or you lose and you cry. And it's the place where you sit waiting to see the scores that the judges have given you. So you're in all this anticipation waiting for these scores. And are you going to kiss or are you going to cry? And then these two big upsets. And, you know, oh, and there was a third one, too. The some, what was he doing? The half pipe, you know, that one where they go boing, boing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why somebody would want to do that is beyond me. Yeah. Anyway, they have competitions in it. And he was, again, a world champion, and this was his fifth Olympics, and he was thirty-five, so he's already, you know, like over the hill, but you know, still going strong. And he won, you know, he's going to win. And on his last event, he also fell, you know. But he had a really good attitude. He didn't kiss and he didn't cry. He stood up, and he had already told people this was his last uh, Olympics, and he wasn't going to compete you know, and any other things after that. And he said, "I'm, you know, I've done my part for this sport, and now the younger generation is coming up, and they're better, and I pass it on to them. And I thought that was a really good attitude, you know? I mean, he just fell on his very last thing, and like, already in his mind he was passing it on to, to the next generation. Okay, so how does this relate to Chapter 7? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there's so much pressure on these athletes. We saw with Simone Miles and, you know, the Summer Olympics, whenever that was, everything's all, m- with, with COVID, you don't know what season it is, what year it is, everything seems the same kind of except it changes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and like she fell, remember that? And that was this horrible. Oh, no, how could Simone Biles fall, you know? and um, And she just said, oh, I had the twisties, and this happens sometimes, and I'm not going to compete for the rest of it. You know, but there's so much pressure on these people from outside, But the outside pressure isn't the problem. The problem is when we pressure ourselves. The outside people can pressure all they want. If we let it slide off us like water off a duck's back, there's not a problem, yeah, for us. Those people, I mean, they can have fits all they want but you know i never pro- we never promised to to be everything perfect for them but the trap is when we say i'm responsible for their happiness and i've let down the whole country when i fell you know the whole country is looking at me and you know Forget what's going on politically and, you know, with Ukraine and Russia and the U.S., you know, right there on the ice and the snow, that's like just as, as much competition. Um, but when, when you think I'm responsible for making everybody else happy and the value of my life, The value of my life. I was thinking about this 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Remember what you were like when you were 15? Would you want the value of your life to depend on how well you skated and how many twirls you did? Would you want your life to be so preoccupied by training, 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 training that you had nothing else happening in your life, except trying to be the best, and uh, so, you know keep everybody happy with you because they've imputed so much stuff on you and expecting you to, you know, represent the country and da 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 da. And you know, when they buy buy into that, we're going to come to it in when we're talking about joyous effort one of the big uh, problems is discouragement. And discouragement is a mental thing. And when you buy into the pressure, you know, or maybe other people aren't pressuring us, but we have our own pressure of, I want to be special, I want to be needed, I want to be important, I want to be recognized, I want to be appreciated, I want to be loved, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When we have that going on, yeah, then if we're so easily discouraged because the meaning of our life becomes, you know, in the Olympics, that little piece of metal that's like this big. Yeah? And, you know, one of them was saying, I... um Somebody said, you know, I want that medal. Oh, it was one guy who who couldn't um had, had tested positive for COVID, so he couldn't participate. And he said, you know, I worked so hard, I worked so hard. I wanted that medal to affirm how hard I worked. And I wanted to call him up and say, relax. <laughs> you know? That metal is just a piece of metal. That's it. You know, you know, what, what you did. You don't need a piece of metal to show off to everybody else. Yeah. And anyway, you know, you're the best in one of these sports. And five years later, you know, you are over the hill. Yeah, remember Michael Phelps? You know, I don't even know how many medals he won. And it's like, you know, you know, is it, do you know what's happening to him now? I don't know. He has kids who are probably, you know, driving him crazy. But um or who he's teaching to swim and I don't know. You know. Some parents say, if you're bad, I'm throwing you in the swimming pool. And he's saying, if you're bad, I won't let you get in the swimming pool. Uh, You know, so, you know, we have to discern what is joyous effort from what is pushing and what is trying to fulfill some image of who we think we should be either because other people think we should be that or because we've set those kind of expectations on ourselves. And the thing is that once we have that, if we don't fulfill that, yeah, then we just get so discouraged it becomes very, very difficult to resume what you're doing because you're afraid of failure again yeah and because you you s- fell somewhere on the slope you got up and tried again a few times more but it didn't work and now it's just like yeah but one of them what what did she say i forget but it was some kind of a remark like you know I've just let everybody down or, you know. Um, so, so when we're practicing the Dharma, we're not in a competition. Okay. We're not trying to get, you know, what's, what's very sweet in the monasteries, whenever they're uh, having a big event. Okay. For the really important people, they give you this big, Thing, it's um, made out of ribbons that are um, what do you call uh, pleated? Pleated, yeah, pleated wood ribbons, like different circles of pleated wood ribbons, and you pin that on your donka, and that means you get to sit in the front because you're somebody important. Okay, so you know if if you are trying to, you know, you need to get one of those things. But then some people are born with it. You know, they're just recognized as Rinpoche's when they're kids. So you can't even compete, you know. It's like this three-year-old, you studied for years and years and years and debated and tried for years, and this three-year-old goes in front of you, you know, who's, who's the incarnation, hopefully, of a, of a great master, but that's not the point the point isn't to sit in front and you know have your 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 little kind of uh what do you call them they're you know vip markers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah the the point is to practice and transform your mind okay the important thing isn't where where you sit yeah the important thing is what's going on in your mind and uh you know and not do, you know we're really not competing with other people and even if we don't compete with other people we we shouldn't you know enthusiasm or joyous effort is not pressuring ourselves yeah and this is is a very fine distinction yeah, joyous effort and pressuring yourselves. It actually is a huge, it isn't a big distinction, but for us, it's a very fine line between the two because we say enthusiasm and our mind goes to, I've got to win. I've got to be best. I've got to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I have this expectation of myself, and I've got to achieve that, you know. I i was going through some old letters last year, and one Dharma friend had written me something and said, you know, I just want to get to the path of accumulation this lifetime. <laughs> you know, and he was like, really? You know, I want to get to the path of accumulation this lifetime. And, you know and i thought it it was quite interesting you know kind of your you know you're still in kindergarten yeah but um yeah so the thing is with dharma practice it has to be something we're doing with a happy mind yeah if we're pushing ourselves if there's some competitive streak if there's some a thing that we've got to achieve and prove to ourselves, then we're not practicing with a happy mind. We're pressurizing ourselves, And that makes our practice not very much fun at all. Okay? Now, the thing is, in the West, you know, the way our education system is, the way our society is, we are brought up to compete, to compare ourselves with others, to push so we can be best. yeah. And so we come to Dharma practice with that same attitude. Okay? Now, not everybody, but many people. Okay? That's why we have a high achievers neurotic society. Okay? Because some of us perfected that. When we were young, other people—not quite as perfect as being neurotic, you know. There's different levels of being neurotically perfect. Yeah. So um, you know, it's a whole different model when you you come to practicing the Dharma. You can't, we can't approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no test that we can take where we're going to get our scores back. You know, when you took the SAT, what was the perfect score in SAT? 1600. They've stopped doing SAT tests, I think, now. But anyway, you know, it's like, was it just Score on your SAT. What's your score on your SAT? Oh, oh, you know. And remember testing. I remember all through grammar school. You know these multiple test things, and it's like, you know, you get to the end, and then you realized, oh no, I put two answers in one line, and I answered all the other questions, and they sh- the answer should have been the line below what I put. Because I put two answers on one line, so that's why I'm short. So all those other answers are going to be wrong. (gasps) You know, and then my teacher's going to be disappointed and the school district won't get as much money and (laughs) my parents are going to get called in. And all I did was like, you know, not just read it one line off. So, so, you know, the whole way we were encouraged to be like that is is something we've got to take a look at. Yeah. Retreat is a very good time to take a look at it. Yeah. Especially when you've got to finish 100,000. No, excuse me, 100,111. No, it's more than that. 100,111 and... No, 11,111 by the end of the retreat. You know, if have got to do that by March 30th, okay, and how many do I have today? And how many do I have to do the rest of the time? And... You know, like she said in her thing, you know, halfway through, somebody, you hear somebody say, oh, I finished. <laughs> and then your world collapses. Oh, no, they finished early, and I, they finished in half the time, and I haven't even gotten halfway through the count. You know, what am I going to do at the end of the retreat? I'm going to be in the the chapel doing this retreat, you know, for the next 17 years until I get 100000 and I'm going to be alone. And let me tell you, a number of people have told me they're not going to finish by the end of the retreat, so relax, you'll have company. Yeah. (laughs) But you think you're going to be the only one. Yeah. And this is just, then what's the motivation for doing it? Yeah. It's not 1,600 on the SAT test. It's now, you know, 111,111. You know, that, who else cares? You know, and... Does it mean you've actually done any purification? <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked one Lama, I forget who, um, you know, why is there a certain number? And the answer was, so that you have a lot of chances to do one with full, with the right motivation and concentration. Yeah. Do one one mantra. Yeah. So it's giving you a hundred one hundred and eleven no one one hundred hundred and eleven thousand one hundred and eleven chances to do one. Okay, maybe you do that on the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Then <laughs> Okay. So, um, really take a look at that during the retreat, you know. And what is your motivation when you sit down to do the retreat? Yeah. Is it really trying to, to open our heart to develop wisdom? Or is it to, you know, m- mark down a lot of mantras? Yeah. What, what's really the motivation? Okay, because the motivation is what determines the real value of what we're doing not how we look and that's the thing uh, that I think is so special about the Buddhist approach and what personally speaking really attracted me to it is it's not how you look it's what's going on in your mind yeah so As they say, you can pull the wool over all of the people, all of the time, but you can't pull the wool over the law of karma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because karma works no matter how we look to other people and how we present ourselves, okay? So that, that's the thing to, to constantly check and be aware of, okay? And when you don't have a proper motivation, acknowledge it, do what you can to improve it, and go on, yeah? And when you still don't have, you know, you, you're sitting, okay, I've got to gener- generate bodhicitta, I've got to have enthusiastic effort with a happy mind, I'm so happy to benefit all these disgusting sentient <laughs> <laughs> You know, I want to attain awakening for their benefit. You know, and and I hope they appreciate how hard I'm working. <sighs> oh, oh vajra <sighs> you know, <laughs> and. Yeah? (laughs) Okay? So, learn to laugh at yourself. It's quite important. Laugh at yourself. And, you know, you're not... You you do your best with your motivation, but you can't sit there and squeeze yourself and say, you know, I'm going to squeeze great compassion out of myself. You can't squeeze great compassion out of your heart, okay? There's a training, and you do the training, yeah? And it's called training for a purpose. When you train, you do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, okay? It's practice, it's training. And the fact that you have to do it repeatedly... Already implies that sometimes you're, you know, you're it's not gonna turn out well. Yeah. It's like these skiers and skaters. If if you're gonna ski and skate, you're gonna fall. Yeah. I mean, because how do you learn to ski and skate? You fall many times. How did we all learn to walk? We fell. That's why I have a scar somewhere, I think, on this side. You know? Because I was learning to walk, and I fell. And we all fell. And it's because you fall a lot, to varying degrees, that you are eventually able to make progress. Yeah? And so... It's, it's not the falling. That's the issue. The issue is, do you pick yourself up afterwards? Do you beat yourself afterwards? Or do you just say, falling comes along with it all and I'm going on? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's why this long-term view is so important. To having a happy mind and and having joyous effort in our practice, okay. You know, and some days you're going to sit down and it's like, I take refuge. This is so boring. And the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Who are they? <laughs> I don't know if I even believe in them. You know, through the merit. What in the world is merit? I Don't, gold stars, I renounce those. From the merit I, I gain from practicing, you know, what is it? Generosity? That mean I have to give everything up? I don't know if I want to do that. And the other far reaching practices, they're far reaching. That's far in advance. Okay. I will attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all sentient beings. I will. I don't think so. Yeah. Buddhahood is for the Buddhas. It's not for somebody like me. You know? No way am I going to become a figure skater or a downhill uh, a downhill skier. Yeah. So those are for skaters and skiers. I'm just me. So, you know, what in the world am I saying anyway? Okay, you know, so some sessions your mind just has a lot of doubt, and some sessions your mind is saying, "I want some chocolate. I've been working hard. I want some chocolate," you know. Or you know, this morning, the day after precepts, yeah. How much more time until I get tea breakfast? <laughs> And some sessions will be like that. I'm not saying go ahead and do that. <laughs> yeah. It's just the reality of the situation. But it's because you keep trying. Yeah. And that you just keep practicing and going on that then, you know, something happens. So, uh, yeah. It's it's like with the garden and the spring's coming. So, you know, we'll plant lots of seeds in the garden. When will they sprout? We don't know. Yeah. But if you plant them with a happy mind, then whether they sprout or not, when you want them to sprout, because we're having a special event on this day and we want the garden to be filled with all sorts of colorful flowers. Whether things happen according to your plan or not, you keep going. Okay. So that, that's a very important way to approach practice. Okay, so now... How much time has gone by, and I haven't covered very many verses? We better get going. This is really terrible. It's taking me so long to t- do this text. Yeah. No? Oh, you mean I'm successful? You appreciate that I'm doing it slowly? Oh, oh God. This is also exhausting. You know? It's exhausting. Comparing yourself to other people and trying to be best and trying to win approval—it's just you wear yourself out. Yeah. Okay. So let's start the chapter over. Considering last time we only did one verse. Um, having patience, having fortitude, I should develop enthusiasm for awakening. Will dwell only in those who exert themselves. With a happy mind. Just as there is no movement without wind, so merit does not occur without enthusiasm. So it's joyous effort, enthusiasm that helps to create the the, the, the merit. So then the question is, what is enthusiasm? Okay. And here's the definition. And you'll notice the definition is very different than pushing it is finding joy in what is wholesome yeah it is taking delight in doing what is virtuous yeah taking delight in doing what is virtuous mm-hmm. so uh, some of you who have been who have been at the abbey for i don't know how many years met Sergeant Joy S. Effort (laughs) early on, okay? So she wasn't just uh, the sergeant for herself. She was the sergeant for the Abbey. Yeah. And she got everybody else in line. And we needed that. And she came out with her, uh, yeah, What was it? I remember you had a big, like, uh, board. And you, yeah, you were doing the uh, boot camp. It was Bodhisattva boot camp. And Sergeant Joyous effort was training the Anagarikas. (laughs) Yeah. She, She did a good job. Yeah. And she also... Got herself wonked out. <laughs> yeah, she was exhausted by the end of it. Okay. And then she realized that, you know, joyous and joy s are different. <laughs> she was Sergeant Joy S effort. Okay. So, yeah, we need to see if we have our own internal sergeant joyous effort. Now, then we then we go. Oh no, we don't. We don't like external joyous effort. We don't like internal joyous effort. Okay. So then we don't need rules. Yeah. And we just do what we want, and somehow it's all going to work out. In the early days, we've had one young man here. He didn't like rolls very much. And um, he suggested that we try for a couple of days uh, without having a cook. And everybody just goes in the kitchen and cooks their own food when they feel like it. So, you know, a day with without a schedule, you know? And so, you know, we all wanted to kind of try and accommodate his needs and his wishes. And, you know, because he, he really, he was young and he needed to be heard. He had been in prison before. And, you know, so, so we thought about it. And then we decided against it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Huh? I still some Good, I will uh, leave on that day. <laughs> yeah. But no, but it it could be a good idea because you know, when you say, I don't like girls, why should I do this? This person bossing me around, I don't want to do it. This when they tell I wanna eat when I wanna eat, and I wanna eat what I wanna eat, and I'm gonna cook it myself. You don't even have to cook it for me. Yeah. So let's try that, you know? And yeah, and see what happens. Okay. So, you know, the opposite. And because I'm saying all this because we have all this so mixed up in our mind. Yeah. We think enthusiasm is pushing. We think, uh, in, you know, then we have to push to keep all the rules and do everything perfect. And then our mind gets tight and we rebel. And then we say, I don't want to follow any rules at all. I don't want to be told what to do at all. I want to just do what I want to do, get off my back. But I live here. And so, uh, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, that's not going to work very well. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, you know, part of the training is how do you follow the schedule and how do you, uh, you know, keep a, a certain standard because it's something that benefits yourself and benefits the community without pushing yourself, you know, because you have to. It's a thing of... Joyous effort. I take delight in virtue. I want to be kind to others. I want to create a, a, a harmonious environment. Yeah, so I'm willing to give up a few things to create harmony, to create a good situation where everybody here can flourish. Okay, so to f- pull, to tease all this stuff apart in our own mind. Okay, so what is enthusiasm? It is finding joy in what is wholesome. Its opposing factors are explained as laziness. Anybody here have that? Attraction to what is harmful. We're not attracted to what is harmful. How about... Attraction to what is fun. Yeah, I'm attracted to what's fun. Yeah. and all those things take me away from the Dharma. And despising oneself out of despondency. This is your time, Venerable Daiki. We need the water, the water fountain. Now, come on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Try. Yeah. Try. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, it's opposing factors. Laziness, attraction to what is harmful, and despising oneself out of despondency. So, we're going to go into these in more depth, but I just want to give a brief overview of them. Okay. So, laziness. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, in this context, laziness does mean oversleeping and wanting to lounge around, okay? It also means distracting ourselves because we're lazy to create virtue, okay? We're lazy to create virtue. There's no energy for it. Okay, then here it says attraction to what is harmful. So we say, "Oh, I don't have that. I don't want to go out and clobber anybody or sue anybody or you know, no, what this means is distraction to to what is fun, to worldly life. Okay? And that's a huge distraction. There's only one verse about that in the text here. We're going to spend a long time on that (laughs) verse. Yeah. Because this is one of our big problems. Yeah. We would much rather go out and do things that are fun than create virtue. Yeah. And pursue our worldly aims and so on. And um, what was it? Oh, yeah, it was some verse that I was just reading. I can't remember in what chapter or circumstance. But uh, the Buddha was talking about giving up um, attraction to medicine and astrology. Okay? And we go, what's wrong with medicine? What's wrong with astrology? You know, Nancy Reagan liked it. <laughs> Yeah, she used to consult astrologers. So, um, you know, well, in terms of dharma practice, yeah, these things can be- become distractions from dharma practice because you start studying a whole other field and you get caught up in it and it's interesting and then... You know, you become popular and many people come to you because you have the best snake oil with, you know, the pure ivermectin in it. Um, and so many people want one to come and, and, you know, get cured by you. It's a distraction. Astrology. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. You know, for monastics, it's considered a distraction. Um, so these are, are kind of the old arts. Now they would say, uh, it would be, you know, tarot cards and aromatherapy. And, you know, it's not saying these things are bad. You know, these, some of these things, not all of them, some of them can be useful and can benefit. But if you're, wish in life is to progress along the path, then these things become distractions to that. Okay? In the sense that your mind is thinking about other things, you know, what to mix with what and what means what, and and so on and so forth. It's nice in the Tibetan medical centers in India, when the doctors start the day, they all do the medicine buddha, Puja together. Yeah. You can hear them chanting. And then when they finish, they invite the the patients to come in. Yeah. But very few, some of the doctors were monks. But uh, and there was one doctor, no, she was a lay woman, but most of them are are, are lay people in the Tibetan community. Okay. Um, so attraction to all sorts of other Possible things you can do in the world. Yeah. And now a days, this is, is something that is even more difficult for people. Yeah. In ancient times, there weren't so many options of what you could do. There wasn't mass transportation. There wasn't the internet. Um, you know uh the the class system in society was very very rigid yeah and so you just you know basically lived as your family lived and uh and that carried on and that's what you could hope for yeah um yeah but now everybody wants to do every, you know, can do everything. And then the mind comes of, you know, here I am, I'm like a young adult, I can do everything I want in the world. And so then you want to try all 31 flavors. And then how old are you when you finish trying all 31 flavors and decide what you're going to eat? Yeah. So it's it's something I know in Taiwan for example um they don't have so many uh, people uh, ordaining like they did before. Yeah, the same in the Tibetan community, the same with the Catholic Church. Yeah, the ordination in many societies was an open door for people of lower caste, where they could get an education, where they could use their abilities. Yeah. Nowadays, that isn't necessary. Yeah. And so uh, not as many people worldwide in various religions are, uh, you know, are are ordaining. Um, Yeah. Because there's a whole world. And who knows, you know, You can be anything you want. So I'm not... I think it's good that, you know, as a young adult, you really go out and explore and try all sorts of different things and go live in different places and try stuff. But at a certain point, yeah, I think what naturally happens not what you should do but i think at a certain point what naturally happens is you're at a point where you, at your development where you have some ideas that you want to try out yeah where you want to contribute in some way to something yeah that you're tired of looking at the train schedule and the bus schedule and knowing the hotels to stay at, and so on. Okay. And then the third uh, big hindrance, despising oneself out of despondency. Okay? So this very harsh judgmental mind that puts ourselves down all the time, that says, I'm not good enough, I can't do it, this isn't working, you know. Buddhahood is too high, the path is too difficult, I'm insufficient, that mind. Okay, so those are the the three things that uh, oppose having a happy, joyous mind that likes to practice. Okay, so then verse 3. Um, because of attachment to the pleasurable taste of idleness, oh, not having an alarm go off, or the, having the alarm go off and you can whack it and just lie in bed for a while. Yeah. Okay. So the pleasure taste of idleness. Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. Remember Saturday morning when you, you know, you worked nine to five or nine to six or eight to six the whole week. Saturday morning, you woke up. There's nothing to do besides the laundry and take out the garbage and plant the garden, vacuum the house. Uh, Well, we won't think about all of that. Um, you know, I can just lie in bed for, um, another 15 minutes until one of the kids screams, or the cat jumps on me, or the dog jumps on you, or something happens. Nowadays, you know, you wake up and what's the first thing you do? You check your phone. Yeah. What happened? while I was asleep. <laughs> yeah. Who is contacting me? What's it called? Uh, my chart? <laughs> uh, Molina. <laughs> uh, what's my drug plan? I forget the name of it. Yeah, but, you know, your drug plan. (laughs) And then 15 things that want you to sign petitions. Yeah. And that's what you wake up to. Yeah. So you get through all of that. And then there's, you know, the emails from, you know, from your friends. Please, can you help me (laughs) with this? You know, so anyway. Okay. Because of attachment to the pleasurable taste of idleness. Because of craving for sleep. Yeah. I just want to sleep. It's so peaceful. Sleeping. I want more sleep. And you aren't even awake to enjoy it. You know? And yet we crave sleep. But while you're sleeping, while you're sleeping... Is there the thought, oh, I'm enjoying this sleeping so much? No. Yeah. But it's interesting. Because of craving for sleep and because of having no disillusion with the misery of cyclic existence. Why should I be disillusioned? Cyclic existence has so many entertaining things yeah i can be an olympian yeah they just don't have my sport (laughs) yeah they they should do you know the olympics of laundry and see who can do the most laundry in the shortest period of time you know throw it in wash it take it out dry it fold it <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> Oh, we have that Olympics going on already, do we? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, isn't that as that's as an incredible talent to have and it's much more practical than, you know, going whoosh down a mountain that ha- that has fake snow. Yeah, the Winter Olympics this year is fake snow because Beijing doesn't have enough snow. Yeah, so the whole thing's fake. (laughs) Yeah, it's fake snow, and you're seeing who can be the fastest to go down fake snow. And, I mean, it is incredible what these people do, but I don't know. It goes so fast. How can you really enjoy it? (laughs) yeah and you know the guides that are flipping you know it's like you can't even look at the view (laughs) because if you look at the view you lose your balance and you land on your head you have to find one spot Somewhere that you focus on each time you know you come around from your thing, so you don't get dizzy and fall down. Yeah. Okay. So we, you know, why not have a laundry Olympics? (laughs) Yeah, let's get the women involved somehow. You know, or we could actually make this a co-ed sport. I'm think I'm thinking many, you know, stay-at-home moms would really like it, yeah. And who a dishwashing, you know, who can wash the dishes the fastest, you know, without dropping them. Yeah. 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 Why don't we have contests in, in that? Who can wash the dishes, most dishes, fastest without dropping them, without breaking them? Yeah, and make the least bit of noise. Every bit of noise you make, you get points distracted. <laughs> yeah? Well, There are lots of cooking shows that are competitions. Yeah, cooking, But that's to make the food, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about cleaning up afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, making the food, you have something to look forward to. Burning it. (laughs) But undercooking it, Uh, you know. But uh, the cleanup, what do you have to look forward to? Doing it again after a few hours, okay. Anyway, because of attachment to the pleasurable taste of idleness, because of craving for sleep, and because of having no disillusionment with the misery of cyclic existence, thinking samsara is great, laziness grows very strong. Yeah, samsara is fun. Yeah, and I get to do all these things, and I can become all of this, and, you know, yeah, it's it's good. Verse 4, ameshed in the snare of disturbing conceptions, I have entered the snare of rebirth. Why am I still not aware that I live in the mouth of the Lord of death? So Shanti Deva is saying, "Yeah, you think samsara is so great? What about this? Yeah, you're born, and what is the cause of your death? Yeah, yeah. the the uh, They, the coroner always has to write a cause of death. They need to put birth as the cause of death. Okay." You think samsara is great? You want to be reborn? Now, The only thing you have to do is die. Yeah. People are always going, I have to do this and I have to do I have to go pick up the kids. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to earn a certain amount. I have to score a certain amount. I have to look a certain way. Actually, we don't have to do any of those things. Those are all optional. And I think it's really important that we own what is optional and that we own our choices. Instead of saying, I have to, to say, I choose to. Okay? So I, ha- I have to uh, what? What? You know, I have to make another rota. Yeah, some people like mating, making rhodas. Do you like making rhodas? I bet you're good at it. No one understood my rhoda. Huh? No one could understand my rhoda. Oh, nobody could understand them? <laughs> yeah, if they're like your spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, they're so exact that you can't understand them. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Just once put away 50% of dishes. Yeah. So Yeah, but it, it's like, you know, here, here we are. We think samsara is such a good time. Have we ever, you know, really thought that it's going to come to an end? That not samsara, but this life in samsara, is going to come to an end? You know, do you think about that every day? Yeah. They say if you don't think about it in the morning, you waste the morning. If you don't think about it. In midday, you waste the midday if you don't think about it. In the evening, you waste your your night. Yeah? Because we're all so full of, you know, everything I'm going to do. You know, people have a bucket list. I find that so interesting. Yeah? A bucket list. Everything you want to do before you die. If you really want to do it, why aren't you going and doing it? Because I have to do all these other things. You really have to? Yeah. No, we are choosing to. We are choosing to. Yeah. And I think it's really important. You know, because when we say, I have to, it means we have no choice. But we always have a choice. Yeah. I have to be on time for lunch. No, you don't have to. You can choose not to be on time for lunch. But if you choose not to be on time for lunch, then there are certain consequences that happen. Yeah. I have to go pick the kids up. No, you can choose not to pick them up. But if you choose that, there are certain consequences that happen. Okay? So it is a choice. It's like picking them up is better than the consequences. Coming to eat lunch on time is better than the consequences of not coming on time. So we make a choice... What we want is we want only choices that accord with our with what we like. okay. and if if none of the choices accord with what we like, then we say I have to, but no, we are choosing to. Yeah. And uh, you know who really taught me this, one of the the inmates I write to, yeah. The one, uh, I think it was the same one, who taught me about SID's seemingly insignificant decisions that change so much in your life, you know? And how just little choices like this, if we don't own it and we say, I have to, yeah, then when we have consequences we don't like, we blame other people. Whereas if we recognize, no, I had a choice. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody's saying, I have to do this drug deal. I have, I'm, have no cash, I need to do this drug deal. Yeah. No, you can choose not to do the drug deal. Yeah. And you won't have the cash. Or you can choose to do the drug deal and see what the results of it are. You may have the cash. You may spend your vacation time in prison. And that's what happened to this one guy. You know, he was a very successful drug dealer for 20 years. You know, he had a whole fleet of cars. And he was going to do one more deal and then quit. And that's the deal where they arrested him. And he got a 20-year sentence. Yeah, and he landed in prison going, what happened to me? How did I get here? Because for so many years he was flying high. Well, I had to do one more deal. And then he realized, no, I didn't have to. I chose to i chose to so the thing about acknowledging our cho- our choices is that then we take responsibility you know and when we take responsibility we learn from our choices when we say i have to then it's we don't learn much because we feel it's all somebody else controlling us yeah But it's the self-centered thought that's really controlling us, not somebody else. So, I live in the mouth of the Lord of Death. So this is anthropomorphizing death. You know, there's no real Lord of death, But it's a nice analogy, you know in the mouth of the Lord of death, meaning that we could die at any time. And being asked, you know, so many people write to us and ask us to do prayers. And uh, there's been a spate, I think, of, uh, at least I've been getting messages, of people with head injuries and aneurysm, brain aneurysms, and things like that. Yeah? Yeah. And how you get something and gone like that. There was one email, a woman in Denmark at a, from a center where I had taught, and she was in went to Sri Lanka and had a, yeah, I think an aneurysm in the brain and bled out, not bled out completely, but bled. And they put her in a hospital, and she never regained consciousness and died in Sri Lanka, you know, and we got one this morning from, um, from Catherine. Her, um, her cousin's son, uh, just had a head injury, and they're not sure if he's going to live. She didn't say how old he was, but I suspect younger. You know, my friend, uh, you know, who's the monk and the, the Geshe student, um, you know, two, two strokes and a brain bleed, and we just still don't know what's happening with him. Okay? But in any case, it could be anything. Yeah. So, you know, we live in the mouth of the Lord of Death. Yeah. It's like death could come at any moment. But enmeshed in the snare of disturbing conceptions. Okay. So disturbing conceptions, grasping at inherent existence, thinking that things that are permanent, uh, that are impermanent, are permanent. Yeah. Thinking that things that are foul in nature are pure. Thinking that things that are dukkha, by nature, are pleasant. Okay. Anger, attachment, arrogance, jealousy, all this kind of stuff. Yeah? When they say disturbing conceptions, this is what is meant. So it's not just disturbing conceptions about, you know, do do i take do I follow Qanon or do I follow you know ivermectin and you know what whatever it is? It's not that it's um just our normal mental functioning, okay, so meshed in the snare of disturbing conceptions, I've entered the snare of birth I got born, I wanted it, got what I wanted. Here I am, and now we gotta deal with it. You know, what are the results of getting born? It's not just going to Disneyland all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The results of getting born, you know, aging, sickness, death, not getting what you want, getting what you don't want, being disillusioned and disappointed and having to give up when you do get what you want. That's just the nature of samsara. So I've entered the snare of death. Why am I still not aware that I'm going to die? You know, born, aging, sickness, those three have happened. You know, you're going downhill and you've passed three of the gates and the last one's the finish line. And for sure, we're going to get to the finish line. Okay. Um, but we don't realize it. And we think, oh, you know, lots of time. I can do so many fun things. Yeah. Let's go eat pizza. Why am I still not aware that I live in the mouth of the Lord of Death? (laughs) Because my mouth is full of pizza. You know? I think death is not going to happen now. Yeah? But look at all the different ways people die. Like a few months ago, all those people, there was some kind of big rock concert. You know, and thousands of people went. They had like 10,000 people, maybe, maybe more. And somehow people from the back started pushing and the people in front got squished. And I don't, anybody remember a lot of people got killed? 80, 90 people got killed, got squished at this, you know, and they, with some very famous, you know, star who was up there performing. And people down in in the front were getting squished, and he kept performing. And then an ambulance came, and, and then eventually he, you know, he stopped, and they tried to control the situation. But everybody's going there. We're going to have a good time. It's the middle of the pandemic. Let's go stand squished together with a bunch of people. Yeah. At this rock concert. And then they never made it home from that. When I started practicing, I would, you know, because I was young. I didn't know, well, younger, you know, still. Anyway, um, I didn't know so many people have, who have died. Okay, my grandma, you know, my grandpa, things like that. But they're supposed to die before we are. You know, that's kind of their role. You know, this is how kids think, isn't it? Or they're not supposed to die. Nobody's supposed to die. But if somebody dies, it's supposed to be the old people first. And that's not the way life works. Um, but I started, when I met the Dharma and I started meditating on death, I started making a list of the people that I knew who had died, just to remind myself, and the stories of people of, and how they died. And it was very, very helpful. There are so many different ways to die. And I remember one of the ones that really made an impression on me was, uh, one of the guys in the meditation course, his sister's wife or sister or wife or somebody in the family was, uh, was young and she was learning belly dancing. Okay. So when you're learning belly dancing, you like to belly dance. Yeah, don't ask me how. Um, and, this, this was in the days with the dinosaurs where you had, uh, the record played and then you had to pick the needle up and put it back to start again. So she was practicing her belly dancing in another room. He was reading or watching TV in another room. And, and then, you know, so, so the, she was replaying the music again and again to practice. And then at one point, The, you know how the old 45s or the old, whatever they were, that you reach the end and then you just hear that scratching sound. And that's what he kept hearing and went in there. And I don't know, maybe she had had a brain thing too. Something happened and she was dead like that in the middle of belly dancing. You know, not how you would think you would die. Yeah. Uh, But then you you look around and, you know, and you think, oh, it's always this way with other people. And then, I mean, some weird things happen in my family. My aunt. Okay. Um, my cousin. From Chicago uh, was out in California. He was marrying, uh, going to marry a young woman from California, and uh, and she came out. You know, it's the wedding time, and so it's the morning of the wedding, and they're having a big wedding. Yeah, and Aunt Ruth was taking a bath, a bath, and she died in the bathtub the morning of her son's wedding. Yeah. Again, and did anybody plan that to include in the day? Yeah. My cousin and his fiance did didn't have that planned in their day, for their wedding day. You know? And his mother's dead like that. I don't know what she died from. Yeah. My dad it was his 93rd birthday. So it was the night before his 93rd birthday. So he was like 4 hours from no 93. What did I say? Nine. Yeah. So it's 4 hours before midnight and they're having dinner. And uh my sister's boyfriend who is now her husband was cooking steak, you know, my dad loves steak. So, so, you know, it was his birthday, and so everybody, you know, the family was there, and they were all eating. And all of a sudden, my dad's sitting there eating steak, and he started turning blue because he cut off too big of a piece of steak, and he was choking on it. And my brother-in-law tried to do Heimlich's, yeah? Didn't work, yeah? The kids are sitting there, my niece, my nephew, late teens, you know, early 20s. Um, You know, my brother-in-law's kids, also young kids. And my dad's dying, right? In front of them, like that. Four hours short of being 93, Amazing. Just, you know, that wasn't included in what they were going to do that evening. Yeah. What they thought was going to happen. So death happens like that. So it's, the Buddha teaches us this not so that we can be panicky. Okay. It's not like, oh, death can come at any minute. Oh no, I'm so afraid. I'm going to die. <laughs> They made pizza. I'm going to eat the pizza. I'm going to choke on the pizza. I'm going to die. No. That's not the purpose of it. Yeah. But it's just to to really look in our mind and how we have ideas of what's going to happen. And none of those things are guaranteed. Okay? And so when we see... That, that life is impre- unpredictable, this is the, how drawing the right conclusion from the meditation comes about. When we see that we're going to die, it's not, we don't know when it's going to happen. Life is unpredictable. Then the question that comes to the mind is, what then is important? Yeah, what's important? Is my bucket list going to Disneyland? Is my bucket list going to omei <laughs> Yeah. What's your, your bucket list? And if it's really that important, you know, ask yourself, is it that important? Huh? Or is practicing in this very moment more important than planning your pilgrimage to Omei-shan and Wutai-shan and Putoshan shan and what's Kashidigarvish? I I went there. No, is Kashidigarvish one of them? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. What, what is really important in our life? Is it fussing over the pizza being cold? You bet that's really <laughs> important. Yeah, because one day, do you remember? Somebody, the pizza was still frozen when it was put out. Yeah. Oh, the suffering we endured. <laughs> and, and, you know, so to ask yourself, you know, is what I'm doing in this very moment actually important? Important enough that I should be attached to it, important enough that I should ruminate about it and convict the person in my own heart of everything awful they did to me. You know, when we have the, the prosecutor, the jury, the judge, everybody in here, you know, and it's like, you are late. <sighs> I convict you of being late, terribly insensitive, rude, unforgivable, unforgettable, and we'll ruminate about it for a long time and all of its ex- significance. They were late because they didn't care about me. I'm sure that's the reason why. And then you amp it up. They've never cared about me. That's why they're always late. Nobody, and then you amp it up some more. Nobody cares about me. My whole life, nobody has cared about me. And then you're off and running, yeah, spinning some tail. And, you know, the awareness of death stops that. It's like, is what I'm doing this very moment important? And it's not what I am doing, am I, you know, washing the dishes or, you know, or making the dishes dirty that it's not what am I doing that way, it's what's going on in my mind. Because the virtue is, and non-virtue are created primarily by the mind, you know, the intention, that mental factor of intention. So is what I'm doing in my mind really something of value? Okay. So we did three verses today. We're off and running. (laughs) Okay. Any comments or questions? Okay, and let's dedicate.